Hello, America. It's time for Uncle Sam Says. Today, we're going to talk about the William Penn trial. William Penn was on trial for violation of the Conventicle Act, which made Church of England the only legal church. He was a Quaker and had preached in the street because they had been forced from their church. The Conventicle Act made it illegal to preach in the street. Edward Bushell and three fellow jurors spent nine weeks in prison, tortured, soaked with urine, smeared with feces. They had to endure hunger, thirst, but they did not give in to the judge. They said, not guilty, and William Penn went free. From this trial, freedom of religion became part of the English Bill of Rights and later became our own First Amendment. This trial was also the beginning of the right to peaceful assembly, freedom of speech, and reinforced the habeas corpus, which dates from the Magna Carta. Later it gave birth to freedom of the press, most important trial we've ever had in our history. But perhaps the most significant thing we gain from this trial is knowledge of the power of the jury. The jury is not subject to the judge but should determine guilt or innocence by merit alone and not according to statutes, laws, or instructions from any prosecutor or judge. Now here William Penn, he clearly broke the law and he could have been executed. The jury judged the law as well as the man. The man went free and the law was changed. Today, the power of the jury is still intact only if the jurors know and understand their responsibilities. Almost every jury in America is falsely instructed by the judge when it is told it must accept the law and that which is given to them by the court, and that the jury can decide only the facts of the case. Now I'm going to quote some Supreme Court decisions that seem to be forgotten today. This is still the law, and don't you forget it. It's the jury not the judge. In America, it's the jury. Okay, here's, the jury has a right to judge both the law as well as the fact in controversy. This is way back with John Jay, the first Chief Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court in 1789. Okay, next we go to Samuel Chase, U.S. Supreme Court Justice in 1796. Quote, the jury has the right to determine both the law and the facts both the law as well as the facts. Now we're going to Oliver Wendell Holmes. In, he's a U.S. Supreme Court Justice in 1902. The jury has the power to bring in a verdict in the teeth of both law and fact. Oh, it's pretty explicit language, don't you think? Now we're going to Harlan F. Stone, 12th Chief Justice, U.S. Supreme Court, 1941. Quote, the law itself is on trial quite as much as the cause which is to be decided. That's 1941. And then uh, in U.S. v. Doherty in 1972, listen to this. The pages of history shine on instances of the jury's exercise of its prerogative to disregard instructions of the judge. Now, I'm going to tell you just how juries are handled all over America. Now, this particular example is how it's done in Las Vegas, Nevada. 
they bring in prospective jurors in large groups, and in this particular instance there were 260 called in and immediately paid $9 just for showing up. Then they were given a small brochure titled Jury Service and American Heritage, a personal privilege. Then they were shown a brief movie. The movie was hilarious and kept everyone in stitches as it obviously was a homemade attempt. The humor was unintended. The brochure was another matter, however, and I'll quote a few excerpts from it. Now, guys, listen up. These are actual quotes from this handbook given to prospective juries in Las Vegas, Nevada. Purpose of this handbook, page 2. The information in this handbook is not intended, and it must not be construed to take the place of instructions given by the judge in any case. In the event you believe any of this information in this handbook is in conflict with the judge's instructions, disregard it. And then in big, bold, black letters it says, You must follow the judge's instructions. The oath you will take as a juror is as follows. You and each of you do solemnly swear or affirm that you will well and truly try the case now pending before this court and a true verdict render so help you God. That oath is good. That's been there for a hundred years, two hundred years. But now we get back into the book, what it's telling you. It says, This oath is not to be taken lightly or soon forgotten. By taking your oath, you have given your word that you will reach your verdict solely upon evidence received into the record of the court and permitted to remain, and upon the court's instructions as to the law. You must not consider any other evidence. You must not consider any other instructions. As a juror, your position will be as important as that as a judge in the administration of justice in the case at hand. Wow. Wow. Did you hear any of that in that oath that you're to swear? It's not there. Not there. Okay, next. The judge's instructions on the law. This is in page 8. At the conclusion of the testimony, the next step, and a most important one, is taken by the judge. The judge will instruct you on the law that applies to the case, and, now this is in big black letters in the book, you must apply that law to the facts you find them in arriving at your verdict. Where does it say that in the oath you took? Well, okay, next, going to page 11, conduct, conduct during trial. Don't be an amateur detective. Since the only evidence you can consider is that presented in court, you are not allowed to make an independent investigation or visit any of the places involved in the lawsuit. If it is proper or necessary for the jury to inspect a place involved in the case, the judge will so order. Folks, do you see what's happening? we got to wake up. Each of those above quotes in that booklet constitute gross interference in the rights of the jury, as understood by the founders of our Constitution. Those rights have never been changed by law, only by instructions from the judges, so they get more control over the proceedings. The jury is free to come to its verdict as it sees fit, and in no way is it required to follow the instructions of the judge. Check out those Supreme Court rulings that I just mentioned to you. You've got to believe in a fully informed jury. The above oath taken by a juror in no way requires him or her 
to not consider other things outside the evidence accepted by the court. As for the jury being required to follow the judge's instructions on the law and apply that law, guys, the jury has full right to try the law as well as the defendant and can find the defendant not guilty even if he has indeed broken that law. The jury has the ultimate say and can find guilty or acquit regardless of what the judge may tell them. The power of a fully informed jury is one of the most effective ways we have left to save constitutional law and restore our freedoms. Please, guys, learn your rights and responsibilities as a juror, and then accept jury duty. Go, be a juror. Until tomorrow, remember, you are learning the truth. Tell your friends, speak with boldness, and keep your powder dry.